Welcome to Tank Talk, ideas that fuel your business. A Titan Cloud Software Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Titan Cloud's Tank Talk, ideas that fuel your business. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. So this is episode one of our podcast, and folks, we're very excited for this podcast to be a catalyst of conversation for retail and commercial fuel providers. It's going to be great, and we're really looking forward to the array of guests that we have lined up. We're going to be bringing on experts from our own company, from the industry, and beyond to expand on the cloud solutions that are keeping this industry afloat and where our industry needs to be heading. We're going to be using this intro episode to get all of you acquainted with Titan Cloud and our vision for the industry, as well as some of the broader challenges and opportunities that we're keeping an eye on. And of course, we're going to field some questions to one of the brightest here at the company. So I'd like to welcome our guest for the day. We're chatting with David Fries, CEO and CPO for Titan Cloud. David, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate the introduction. Uh, CPO is uh, Chief Product Officer. That's the kind of main event for me is making sure our products are best in class. I love it. So that that keeps you, you know, both overseeing as CEO, uh, you know, the main direction and business model of the company. But as CPO also, you know, it feels like you've also got your hands, uh, you know, really in the process of producing quality products. Do you feel like that's unique for a CEO to be both heading the big picture and the, you know, small components of the deliverable at the same time? I think most CEOs have a couple, three different skill sets. Mine are just kind of in these kind of two uh, areas. And I, you know, I was a computer engineer way back when. I used to code way back when and architect. So my, I have a kind of strong bias that the best product wins. And we tried it really hard to have the best products without dispute. So, you know, this industry is one of those industries where I think you can have the best product and, and sort of people sort of aggregate towards the what's, whatever that is. All right, David, to kick off the main conversation here, I want to start uh, by letting you give the company elevator pitch. So if you don't mind, could you give us a brief rundown of Titan Cloud's mission statement and goals for uh, your retail and commercial fuel industry? Sure. So let's start off with who is Titan Cloud Software. We're a pure play SaaS firm focused on facilities that have fuel. You know, we operate in a you know very agile manner. We have one common code base, multi-tenant architecture, weekly releases. So we're, we move very fast with the product. Given again, I'm also chief product officer. We're focused on very high ROI software solutions to improve in customer fueling experiences, to minimize fuel variance and loss, and to reduce environmental risk. Which is, uh, you know, and cost, which is kind of where Titan started a long time ago uh, with that environmental focus. In terms of where we target and focus, we, start, we serve the largest C stores, the largest, you know, service providers in this industry, the largest rental fleets, the largest commercial fleets, and actually the equipment manufacturers that manufacture the equipment. So we're going to focus on the kind of the most sophisticated set, but our software can also be dialed down, so to speak, to middle and smaller customers. You kind of, you know, the nature of software, you essentially buy what you need. In terms of the industry, I think we're trying to get the industry to, to adopt more technology around uh, analytics. There's a lot of uh, opportunity in this space. You know, I came from technology in, in the financial services space where, you know, people would spend a few billion dollars on technology per company. And I think that might be the entire industry spend here. 
you know, people are focused, obviously fuel supply is the main event, but there's a lot of technology opportunities around customer experience, around reducing leaks into the environment, around the, uh, you know, just logistics, a whole, whole set of opportunities to apply best in class technology and analytics to this industry. Uh, they've woken up to that fact. And I think, you know, again, we just want to be the provider of that best in class technology, allow these folks to kind of manage their business better and, and, you know, ultimately, customers will, will see the result of that. So would you say that uh, robust cloud software like the products that Titan Cloud provides are more critical than ever now for retail and commercial fuel providers? I mean, yes. I mean, I'm a little biased, but I, I sort of see sure. cloud software. Uh, yeah, it's just in the name, right? Right, right. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, a little biased, but I see cloud software as a proxy for technology and software and data. I mean, they're kind of the same thing. They're kind of synonymous. And so as we become more data-driven using technology and software to do that, the cloud element allows you to kind of create a programmable infrastructure, highly scalable, always available at a low cost. And then you could add on, you know, that used to be a lot of the blocking and tackling way back when I used to do technology. As a practitioner, it was, and there's a lot of effort in that infrastructure layer that's essentially been abstracted away with these cloud providers like Azure or Amazon Web Services. So you can really focus on how do I deliver value with software, gets back to how do I create the best product? How do I, you know, kind of enable this use case, whatever it may be. So again, for me, cloud software is kind of required the scale that these providers have, and again, I'm used to kind of seeing really large, you know, technology infrastructures like, you know, like a Citibank or a Bank of America or all those, you know, certain Wall Street, Goldman Sachs. These, the scale these guys have, like an Amazon, you have a million servers, Azure, I think is similar. It's just so much larger than anybody in the fueling industry. The data centers are tier four. The, you know, just the, the, the services they offer, the redundancy, the availability. So especially for this industry, the cloud infrastructure provides something that no individual company can do. You might, some people in financial services might argue with that, but for this industry. And then, you can, again, you can really focus on how do I get value from technology, which is what we're all trying to accomplish every every day, every second of every day. On both sides, I think everyone, everybody agrees with that software and technology and analytics are going to help us in the future. Is how do we go? How do we go address that and start doing it? Cloud software is a kind of table stakes in my mind, because otherwise you get... You get drawn into the kind of, you know, care and feeding of servers, which is always Mm. never fun. Are there any broader changes happening to the industry uh, that you think are mobilizing this need for cloud software? You know, and and when I say industry, I mean specifically retail and commercial fuel. Is there any sort of growth or technological change that is putting pressure on having companies uh, have more robust data and analytics to support their operations? So I've been uh, at, at Titan Cloud for 10 years. One of the things I noticed when I got here, you know, this term IoT, and before that it was telemetry, and before that it was machine-to-machine. There's a lot of machine-to-machine IoT data in this industry. They've had sensors in the ground on this equipment for decades, right? It's, it's way before all the stuff you've seen in the last five or six years around IoT. So the data has always been there, and now... How do I, you know, kind of collect that data reliably? How do I act upon that data? How do I analyze it? How do I understand what's a true positive versus a false positive? So I think the underlying kind of theme here is all this equipment has sensors on lines and probes and tanks and, you know, meters that dispense fuel. So the data has been there. So connecting to those devices, getting the data and then acting on it is everybody understand that's sort of the, the pot of gold, if you will. So how do I get value from it? 
so that's I think that's a key driver, and at least in what we do, and all the customers we see would agree with that. Some of our larger customers are even investing. Certainly, this happens in other industries. The whole digital transformation journey, which is kind of just a new buzzword for something that's you know started back in the um, mid '90s with kind of internet banking, but they're very focused on digitizing their businesses. And again, the data and managing the data and dealing with it kind of drives you to a cloud infrastructure for the scalability and maintenance of it. I want to take a second to uh, look to your background because I think it it can help illuminate some of the unique perspectives that you bring to solving these challenges in the retail and commercial fuel industry. But yeah, your background is really studded. You know, you've worked with software solution companies to scale and realign their business models and needs. Everything from is it Ypro or WePro? Sure, Wip, Wipro Technologies. Wip, Wipro Technologies, yeah. So Wipro Technologies, you've worked with Oracle as well. But you've also spent some time as a strategist at uh, McKinsey working uh, with their technology solutions. So tell us a little bit about some of the work you did there if you're able to. Uh, you know, What are some of the technology challenges that are troubling some of the, the largest international businesses and institutions? And how has some of the work that you've done there you know, trickled into your approach for solving issues with the retail and commercial fuel industry? Sure. Let me do a quick, you know, 60 seconds, just kind of put my background together. Sure, so I started, yeah. out, I started off as a technologist. I was an engineer. I built systems. I was a, you know, in software engineer. I was a database administrator. I was an application architect. This is the days of Anderson Consulting when you'd have 300 people on a project for two years and build software that didn't exist in the world. And the hardware was so far behind what the software use case was that you had to do all this crazy stuff to make everything work, right? So then after business school at Chicago, you know, it was a McKinsey and their technology strategy practice, business technology office, they called it. So we're just kind of that intersection of business and technology. And this was kind of during the, the kind of internet boom where everybody understands their business models are at risk. What do I need to do? How do I respond? It was very acute in financial services and telecommunications where I spent a lot of my time. And really some themes there. One was um, how do I create new products and services leveraging the best of the technology, these new delivery models, the platform that, you know, before like retail banking is a great example, early, early adopter in the whole internet world, like, well, there's internet banking now, it's not branch banking, right? So that kind of transformation happened across a lot of industries. So how do I, you know, create, given the introduction of new technology, how do I adapt my business model? Secondly, in that new product development and services, it's really creating something that that solves a problem. So that's kind of my chief product officer here is that experiencing, experience creating new products, helping these customers create new products that create a lot of value. I take pride in and we try very hard here at Titan to create products that are what I would call high ROI investments that solve pressing and important problems. And they're better than everybody else in the industry. We try very hard to do that. I think we've succeeded, you know, where we compete, we don't compete everywhere, where we compete. I think we can say that with some degree of confidence and we could have someone validate that. So again, that product that, that solves a really important problem. So in the world, in the world of McKinsey, right, you don't, they don't hire McKinsey to solve not important problems, right? So you want to just really focus on the high, the highest ROI problems you can find. And then the technology to make that happen you can inst- what I call instantiate a lot of knowledge and value into software these days that used to be you know services or people and you can you can kind of put it into the software, give people the opportunity to use it as they see fit. So kind of instantiating knowledge and know-how and value into software, solving important problems. It's kind of where I think my background has brought me 
and which is why I take a lot of um, I, you know a lot of focus on the chief product officer part of my responsibilities. And we have the weekly sprint planning sessions, which I'm always at. And you know, again, the team kind of runs it. I'm there for certain certain uh, kind of tiebreakers, if you will, of what we do in terms of product development every week. Um, so that, again, I think I think it's a differentiator. Again, I'm a little biased, but I think that <laughs> that no, the notion of making the best product. If I'm a customer hiring a technology company, and my CEO is also the chief product officer and also knows how to build products. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and I mean that that, that work at McKinsey where you're um you know you're you're looking at the highest profile kind of changes that you can make to help that bottom line or to increase ROI that probably translates well to uh, an industry that I think can be rather volatile, which is dealing with fossil fuels in, in any capacity. You know, the, the ups and downs of the market can be you know rather difficult to predict sometimes. Um, and then for tangential businesses uh, like the fuel providers and then even more tangential, you know, technology solutions like yourself, you know, being able to being able to understand the volatility of those margins and be able to react uh, appropriately has probably helped Titan Cloud differentiate itself. Yeah, I think the uh, market for fuel is we're still at this um, peak demand for oil and gas. We have been for several years. That will continue for the foreseeable future. Some of the trends driving that are obviously things like, you know, the ride sharing. So people are actually driving more. The engines are getting more efficient. So the kind of cost per mile comes down. For our retailing retail clients, they found that they have the one business model in the world that's Amazon proof. Amazon's never going to have fuel. I mean, they might buy somebody, right? But they're it doesn't matter. You know, the fuel is very toxic, highly regulated, huge number of regulations to deal with it. Things blow up. So that, you know, that that retail model where I'm fueling your car and, you know, you come in and get snacks, it's been very profitable for these customers. Again, since I've been at Titan, the retail fuel margins have been very, very healthy. These guys are, are doing very well. They're kind of morphing into kind of retailers. They're trying to get that, you know, customer experience inside the store down. We're trying to help them with the customer fueling experience outside the store because everybody these days wants a good experience, you know, whether it's online or physical. And we're trying to help them with that kind of fueling experience at the, at the dispenser, right? You know, you pull up, everything works well. And that's that's kind of an area of focus for us. I think it's a differentiator. And I think the, the millennials... I'm not a millennial, by the way. Uh, the millennials that would <laughs> you might be. I don't know. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm I'm right on the cutoff there. Yeah. So you know, you, you pull into a f- gas station, you pull up to your normal place where you get fuel, right? On a Monday morning, whatever, right? It's sunny, and you know the nozzle is bagged, or it's the flow rate is poor, or it just doesn't work, and you're you're kind of pissed. You might not. You'll leave. You probably don't go to the same gas station if there's one across the street. You go there, maybe, and, and it has a residue effect. You don't come back. So there's a lot of studies around if you have a bad fueling experience that translates into lost sales and the impact is enormous. So like if you lose like a few percentage points of sales, it, it's it's a huge impact to the bottom line because you know you're you're now mad. You're not going into the store and getting the snacks. Um, you're you're mad. So again, we're trying to focus on you know if I think of the trends. Certainly from the, the big kind of economic, you know, demand for oil and gas is peak and will continue to be peak as long as I think the world economy is or our economy is doing well. And then, you know, this this retail model that these retailer the fuel retailers have is Amazon proof. And therefore we want to just make, you know, the fuel experience match the in-store experience. Something again we're we're focused on with some of our products. Mm. The other, the other point would be, I think, you know, folks, and we also have an, an environmental appeal, right? So, you know, part of our solution set is environmental compliance. If you do a good job of that, 
you essentially, there, there's no impact to the environment, right? Mm-hmm. So everything is self-contained, there are no leaks. So we have the ability to not only help improve that fueling experience for it, but also eliminating any risks for environment, environmental impact. You know, no one argues that, you know, the, the reason it's so highly regulated and no one argues with this is because, you know, you don't want it to, to leak into the, to the water supply. So there's a lot of regulations and sensors and a lot of technology we can apply to make sure nothing bad happens. Or if it does happen, it's limited in, in sort of duration so that it's, it's remediated. So we have lots of ways we can help these folks um, as they deal with the, the industry ups and downs. All right, transitioning over to some of the technology talk that we were having earlier, uh, I want to dig into some of the big buzzwords that seem to, you know, uh, percolate into a variety of different industries. But what's great is I think a lot of these buzzword technologies that have been finally making their name at an industrial grade level are becoming more than just buzzwords. So I'm talking IoT, AI, machine learning. We're actually seeing these technologies have a tangible impact on costs, on you know logistics, on reach, on growing business models, uh, robust data and analytics. So I wanted to get your take on how you're seeing some of those technologies, the, the big ones, IoT, AI, machine learning, make their way into the commercial fuel industry in a tangible way. Sure. IoT, I alluded to earlier, has been in this industry a long time. It just hasn't really been commercialized. And and we have, for instance, we have 50,000 sites in our software, 25,000 we're directly connected to. We get like 100 megabytes of data or maybe like 200 megabytes of data a day from all these sensor readings across all these sites across the United States. So again, they, they've had the sensors in the ground for a long time. They've had actual devices called them automatic tank gauges that are real-time Linux boxes that actually are getting the data. But now you can connect to all these things simultaneously, get real-time data, act on it. So the IoT, again, if, you, if you're talking about putting your home or a business and using IoT, a lot of the cost and difficulty is the sensors. Mm. How do I buy the sensors? Where do I put the sensors? What's the control box I get that I connect to, to getting the data from the sensors? So that infrastructure has been in this industry for a long time, the sensors and the actual control system. And it's industrial grade, you know, last forever kind of technology and kind of componentry. So then it's just like, well, you got to connect, you got to get the data, you got to use the data. So that's where the uh, the machine learning and AI come in. And for me, uh, as I've come in th- this industry, coming from financial services, this industry has a lot of complexity because you're trying to use this data, but it's equipment. There's physics and chemistry and noise in all the data. So using machine learning to filter out the noise, there's kind of this kind of archetypal classification problem for machine learning using supervised learning. So is it a true positive? Is it a false positive? There's a lot of false positives in this industry because the, the you know, the equipment, someone's on site, something weird's happening. You know, is some, do I need attention or not attention? Is something wrong? Something's mm-hmm. not wrong. It's super important. We have tons of data now from these sensors that have been there for decades. Using machine learning to classify what the kind of problem it is. Is it true positive, false positive? And then acting on it quickly is where you really get a lot of lift. And we're seeing that again, I think we're, I think we're leading the pack in terms of application machine learning. My, mm. my chief scientist has a deep background in that from fraud and other places where you use classifiers and use supervised learning. So we're kind of leading the pack of machine learning on the IoT front. Again, we, we wrote the, the IoT engines for the largest ATG manufacturers. So we know a lot about getting this data. So then we're, again, we're going to focus on how do I, how do I deal with it? 
In fact, if you talk to most of these, most of the operators in this industry, they have too much data. What do I act on? How do I filter it out? It's not sufficient just to put sensors and get alerts. I have to be able to have a lot more intelligence than that because there's so much, uh, so much information out there. And for me, expert system and machine learning are closely related. Expert system has a more of a connotation of a human. So we are, we, we do have an, an AI product, uh, artificial intelligence product that tries to take the, the place of a person that manages alarms and uses kind of a business rule set to do the classification, kind of think of an expert set of rules. That's the traditional application of, of expert systems. And, you know, we have something that dramatically improves the performance of alarms because some alarms require dispatches, some don't. It's important to know the difference. And, and at 3 a.m. especially, you want right. to see the technology to figure that out for you as opposed to you you doing it. So again, I think, again, the, the IoT is there. People are getting data. We're just doing it at a much larger scale than anyone else. The, the application of a machine learning is relatively new. Although if you, if you sort of say regression analysis, it's kind of been around forever. There's some people doing regression analysis, but the more advanced machine learning techniques, not so much. And then on in the world of, um, you mentioned logistics. So I think we have, that's, that's where they come together. Um, you know, you think of IoT, you're getting the data from the, the tanks real time, you're knowing if there's any issues at the site so that maybe I shouldn't send a load there. And then you're also kind of situational awareness. So you have real-time data, you have situational awareness about what's going on at that instant. And then you're getting the data so quickly, you have there's a whole array of algorithms you can apply to this from the industry standard, which is a weighted moving average with a look back window to machine control theory, because you have so much data that you can almost optimize uh, an objective function based upon all the data you're getting. So it gets really interesting. You can almost, con- it's like controlling your, you know, your air condition, those old in, uh, window air conditioners, you like, they had a little control unit, you want to be a certain temperature, that kind of control theory you can apply. So you can control the amount of fuel you have at a tank using some of this, some of these techniques. It's pretty exciting stuff. And I think that just speaks to the broader trend of data and analytics being the backbone for differentiating yourself uh, in really any industry, but more critically, I think, uh, any kind of industrial or manufacturing kind of industry where you're dealing with so many technologies and often logistics play a large role in um, transportation efficiency. I mean, that is a key part of commercial and retail fuel providers and and their business model. So having data and analytics be something that isn't an extra added component or just something you think about on the weekends, but is a uh, a core part of your business model and something that is integrated at every level in a seamless and frictionless way. Yeah, it's really a differentiator, but I think even more so it's becoming a necessity. It's not really just that extra bonus. It's It's needed. Absolutely. So we don't actively participate in logistics software mm, right but we we do provide data to those folks that do it um, and but we and we do have some forecasting models we're, we're very focused on getting the right data to the right people for the places where we are deeper in the analytics around the fueling experience that imp- that impacts the logistics provider if, whether or not they want to kind of deliver fuel or not and we do have a really good forecasting model which is, again, the way logistics work, obviously, it's you're trying to figure out, I don't want to run out of fuel. So when can a load fit? And they're you know creating schedules for that. And then there's loads, there's drivers and trucks. So where we stop is the forecast of when, when can something fit? Then you can you know talk to your carrier that has the trucks and they can schedule it. 
So we we'll, we have a couple of ways that we serve logistics. Uh, we, we provide them the data, they do the forecast, and we can provide them the forecasts. They can schedule the trucks, different ways that we can support that model. There's a lot of folks that do the um, full-on logistics of creating loads and assigning them to drivers and trucks. And, and we're just kind of, a, we support that. I think our analytics background and our real-time knowledge of what's happening at the actual convenience store gives us some data capabilities that nobody else has. And ultimately, that's what you're trying to get to, that, that, that edge of like that extra hour of flexibility sometimes makes all the difference because some these folks are always scheduling a day in advance and if they, everything goes well, but invariably nothing, it never always goes well. There's always some hiccup in the supply chain. Mm. And so how do I deal with that? All right, David, that about wraps up our conversation. Just to leave on a final thought leadership note, what are you looking forward to with Tank Talk and the kind of conversations that we're going to be having on this platform? What are some of the topics you hope that we explore? Uh, and you know, maybe what do you think is the most critical uh, angle that we should be taking for this industry as we go into 2020? I would say probably three things come to mind. Let's dive into these uh, three product solutions we have around the end customer fueling experience. That's a pretty rich set of topics because it links to the digital economy. It links to the experience economy. It links to the the desire for millennials to have these good experiences. If you don't, it's it's a big problem. So that end customer fueling experience, there's the environmental risk and cost set of stuff. So how do I reduce risk and cost? Very hard to do. Uh, lots of different levers there to talk about. You know, the EPA. There's the state. There's how I manage vendors that are on site. So there's that one. And then, and then finally, last but not least, is fuel variance and loss and leak detection. As we try to create, we have a product called Perfect Gallon, which is trying to eliminate fuel variance and, as a side effect, essentially eliminate leaks, uh, fuel leaks in the industry. There's these third-party certifications. So we have the ability to kind of do something that's, you know, it's kind of a step change. It's a, you know, discontinuity. You know, the industry has been doing it for 20 years a certain way, and it's at 0.2 gallons per hour, and we're at 0.02, right? So we're 10 times better. So that kind of innovation step change has a, a big impact, not only your ability to track fuel variants, but sort of eliminate leaks, which is everybody would love to do that. So there's kind of three areas I think we could definitely dive on, dive into, I should say. And I'm sure our marketing folks here will have some other ideas. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Leave it to the professionals, right? Indeed. <laughs> All right. David Freeze, CEO and CPO for Titan Cloud. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Tank Talk. We appreciate all of your insights. Thank you, Daniel. Have a good day. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Tank Talk. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes or consume some more of our content, you can head to titancloud.com and head over to our resources tab for some more news from our industry and our company. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.